Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I've really had on my heart the book of Joshua. So over at Verdun, we've been looking at the book of Joshua, preaching through the book of Joshua as God begins to bring us from one place into something new. And uh, a particular word that settled on my heart last week for our Verdun congregation, I've been wrestling with what to preach today. I was originally going to be preaching next week, but we all know that Nick's house has gone through all sorts of things. And so today was the moving weekend. And I went, mate, I'll just come and preach this weekend. And the Lord really just settled on my heart that this is a word that I've, I've been able to share at Verdun uh, with our Lobethal community. I thought, Allgate need to hear this too. This is a word for us in this season as one church in what God is doing and what He is about to do. And uh, it's from Joshua chapter 5. And so we're going to go to Joshua chapter 5 right now in a message that I am calling Battle Ready. Battle Ready. So open the word. <clears throat> and what we're going to see is God's way of preparing his people to step into what he's promised. God's way of preparing his people to step into what he has promised. Joshua 5, starting at chapter 1. Now, contextually, the people of Israel have crossed the Jordan. They've come from 40 years of wilderness wandering They've seen this miraculous move of God who not only made the Jordan waters stand up, but he actually dried the ground. Now think about that for a minute. You ever ever gone water skiing or been in the river and you take one step into the edge of the water and what happens to your feet? They sink. Now the Lord not only parts the waters, but he actually dries the ground so that they can move through. It's a phenomenal story. And then the people of Israel are called to remember, all through Joshua, this call to remember. This, there's memorial after memorial after memorial. God does something and he says, now I want you to do this so that you will remember. So that you will not forget who it was that brought about this deliverance for you as my people. So they cross the Jordan, they take 12 large stones, they set up a memorial so that generations to come will remember. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had courage to face the Israelites. Their hearts melted in fear And they no longer had courage to face the Israelites. When you're about to face an enemy, that's a pretty good place to have your enemy. Amen? That their hearts are melting in fear and they no longer have courage to face you. So do do me a favour. Jump into this text for a moment. Put yourself right here. Finally, after 40 years of wandering, 40 years of preparing, 40 years of waiting for God to come through, finally, he thinks we're ready. Finally, the time is right for us to take the promised land. And yet, God has a different plan. When I, about 10 years ago, I went through a strange phase in my life where I met, uh, I met a guy at the church we were involved in who was into MMA, that's mixed martial arts. 
and he was a scary looking fella. He was probably six foot two, he was about 110 kilo of pure muscle. He had tattoos everywhere, massive cross right through the middle of his back. And because I like to connect with people, I said to him, why don't we train together? <laughs> he was like, that's a great idea. I probably unwittingly not quite sure what I was getting myself into. So we committed and we basically went two sessions a day for about six months. And we'd do like strength training and things like that. And then we'd do, I'm going to call it fighting. Probably not for him, but for me, it felt like fighting. Like we'd learn, he taught me how to wrestle. We'd do boxing. Every time he punched, I felt like he was ripping my arm out of its socket because you've got your pads. We'd learned all these different, these, these different things as he was training and teaching me. So for six months, I'm learning this stuff from this guy who was just a machine. And then, uh, and, and so, and then footy season came about and I rocked up to my first pre-season football training, feeling pretty fit, feeling in pretty good nick. And the very first training, the coach says, okay, boys, line up in two lines opposite each other. So just like this. And then there'd be another pair there and another pair there. And he goes, take a knee. So we got down onto our knees thinking, what the heck is about to happen? Are we going to pray together? Or, is, you know, what, what's going on in this football club? And he goes, grapple, hold each other's arms. And he goes, pin your opponent. We're having a wrestle off. And in that moment, I think, oh, praise Jesus. <laughs> like, I'm going to look really good at the end of this <laughs> after six months of training. And without bragging, I just went through the line. Right, like the first guy's like, bang. And it was easy, it felt easy. It's like, pinned you, moved to the next person, now you're over. And then I just went through the line and it was like, the guy's like, whoa, yeah. Like it was really exciting. I felt really good about myself. And then the next morning I went to training and I was with this guy and I, like I just had this thought, I reckon I could take him. <laughs> See, my confidence was up. So I was like, I reckon I've got him covered. And so I said to him, hey, um, you want to wrestle? And he looked at me and he's like, are you sure? I was like, no punching. Like, that's our one rule because I like my face and I don't want to die. But I reckon, I, I reckon you've taught me enough that I'm ready to go. And so he goes, okay. He's like, let's do it. So we're standing up and he goes, ready? We hold, like grabbed each other's arms. And he says, you tell me when you're ready. I went, I'm ready. I kid you not, within half a second, my ankles are up here, my head is down here, the next thing I know, and it was floor like this, he didn't put mats down, I have gone thud on my back, completely winded, and somehow, I still don't understand how it happened, my arms were like this, he was in a position they call full mount, which is where you're kneeling on someone, with my arms pinned in between his legs and him sitting on me and he was just pretending to throw punches at my face. <laughs> a man, a few words he was, and this is what he said to me. He just kind of grunted. He goes, hmm. And he looks at me, he goes, not ready. <laughs> and then he said, again. I spent half an hour that morning being flipped, being flopped, being flung all around the room as he very politely made his point that just because I'd had a little bit of success here did not mean I was ready for battle. Just because I called myself a wrestler and thought, yeah, you know, I'm going all right here, did not mean that I was ready for battle, that I was ready to tackle someone like him. And I think sometimes in our Christian life, we live a little bit like this. We forget 
that the call of God is not just to, I get saved, I pass through the waters and I call myself a Christian, but actually the call of God is to a battle. It is to a battle to step into the kingdom promises that he has bought for us. Ephesians 6 tells us that, that, let's read it together. It's such a fantastic passage. He says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, amen? He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And when we read the New Testament especially, we should never ever, like you, you can't read the New Testament and not understand that the battle continues today. Paul's language over and over and over again is what I would call combative language. Like, let, Just turn the page and go to Philippians 3 where Paul's, he's talking about, like listen to this, verse 10, Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Then watch this. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and striving towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Over and over and over and over again, all throughout the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, he's calling us to the fight. The end of Timothy, how does he celebrate what God has done in his life? He says, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Like there's this, this call to a, a battle, a a combative life. And so when we read Joshua, we have to understand that Joshua is this prophetic picture of Christ. He's a type of, he's a messianic type. And so we read him not just as a historical figure, but as a prophetic word for the church today in the way that we go about living our life. And as you come to chapter five and you think, yes, I've crossed through the waters. It's like baptism, that symbol of from death to life. I've come out of the wilderness wandering. I've come out of sin. I've come through the waters into life. Hallelujah. You know, I'm like, yes, I'm a Christian. God has saved me. And now I'm standing in the plains of the promise of God and Jericho's there and I'm excited to fight the battle. I'm ready to go, God. And God comes to Joshua and says, you're so close, but before you fight, there's something that you're missing. Again, put yourself in Joshua's shoes. What are you thinking in this moment as, as you have this moment with the Lord about to like, you've crossed through the waters. You're probably sitting there going, okay, strategy. Strategy, how are we gonna do this? Do I need to sharpen my sword? Yeah, I've got to sharpen the sword. Yeah, I've got to get the armour ready. I've got to get, like, I've got to organise the ranks of the army. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be so good. And then God says, circumcise the men. Read it. <laughs> Don't just take my word for it. Don't just take my word for it. I read this and I laughed. I was like, this is the dumbest strategy of all time, God. Verse 2, at that time, with the people, the enemy trembling in fear, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives 
and circumcise the Israelites again. Some of you have already crossed your legs, some of you men. You... <laughs> Just think strategically. Jericho. Battle. I don't think circumcision's overly smart, Lord. Like just to, if you're Joshua, you're probably having a moment where you go, now, did I hear right? Are you sure that's what you want us to do, Lord? And you're probably going back and quoting scripture and you're probably going back to Genesis and being like, Lord, just, just remember, how, remember how the Israelites did this to their enemy and they convinced them to get circumcised and then went in and slaughtered them all. Lord, why would you bring us through the water into the promise and then call us to be circumcised now? when we're now going to be weak and vulnerable. Couldn't we have done that on the other side? When we had the water to keep us safe? Instead, you call us through when we're two kilometres away to this. Anybody confused? It seems like such a dumb strategy. The enemy could come down at any point in time and just run them through. Because you are literally your entire fighting brigade. Like everybody who has strength to fight is now in an awful lot of pain. Now, if, if you don't know what circumcision is in this room, let me... Uh, <laughs> firstly, you've got a campus pastor. His name's Nick Van Ruth. Feel free to email him at... Uh, <laughs> Nick Van Ruth at uh, hillsbaptist.com. Um, now, let me explain it through the passage because I think it's helpful. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth, right? Anyone been in Lobethal recently? I was struck the other day driving through Lobethal about how they name their streets. You drive past the school and it's like they sat down and said, we're going to put a school here. That's a significant thing. What should we call the street? I know. School Street. <laughs> then they build a post office and they're like, oh, what should we call that street? I know. Let's call it Post Office Street. <laughs> and then you build a road on a ridge and someone has the bright idea and says, why don't we call that road Ridge Road? It's like every single road is named after the thing that happened there. Yeah? Next time you go through Lobethal, just have a look. It's, I was just laughing about it. Do you know what Gibeath Haraloth means? It means Hill of the Foreskins. So it's like this thing was so significant that the Israelites get together and what should we call this place? I know. That's what we're going to call it. Because that's how significant this moment is. Now, if you still don't know what circumcision is, go on, contact Nick and he can explain it to you later on. It's pretty self-explanatory. The Israelites did this at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, they, these men, as they're about to go into battle, are in pain. They have cut off something that is intimate and sacred. That's really what circumcision is about. It was a promise that God gave, a covenant promise that God gave to Abraham, saying this is how we are going to have relationship, that there is a covenant sign. I am going to do these things. And the thing that I want you to do is make sure that on the eighth day, every Israelite boy is circumcised. It is a symbol. It is a sign of being set apart, of being different. It is a symbol of death to flesh. 
It's about recognising there's stuff in me that is not in alignment with God's desire and will for my life and that has to go. If I'm going to be in covenant relationship with a holy God, there's certain things in me that don't belong. And that's all that is. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of what God wants for his people. Are you with me? And as we read the New Testament, it's really clear that it's no longer a circumcision of the flesh that God is after, but it's a circumcision of the heart. Yeah? Like, let, let, let's go to uh, Romans chapter 2. It says this, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, a Jew symbolising that, that relationship with God, nor is circumcision mere outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew, a child of God, who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. You see, circumcision, this, the, the desire of God, it hasn't disappeared in the Old Testament. It just looks different in the New. It's gone from an external uh, ritual to an internal reality. That there has to be a dying to flesh. Paul puts it this way. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And if Jesus puts it this way, he says, pick up your cross and come follow me. And this is something that's, that has been lost on the church today. We love to talk about Jericho. We want to go to Jericho. We want to talk about victory. We want to go to that place. But very rarely do we want to come to Gilgal, to Gibeath Haraloth, and recognise that before we claim victory, we have to die to self. That there is a death of flesh. There is a dying to self. There is a picking up of my cross and a following of Christ. That we don't get to make God in our image. We are made in His image and we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we are to be throwing off the stuff of the flesh and chasing after the one who bought us at a price through the waters of Golgotha. And we have to be very, very careful as a church that, yes, we are called to be a people who are loving and open. One of our key things is belonging. We want to be invitational and welcoming and accepting, but we do not accept our culture and allow that culture to become a part of who we are. We are to be set apart in the world, but not of the world. We're not called to be left or right. We are called to be up, counter-cultural. Some people are so right that they're left of Jesus. And some people are so left that they're right of Jesus. We've missed the point. To the world, to the left, like, you know, that whole debate of right and left culturally. To those who are left, we should look right. To those who are right, we should look left because we're counter. We're kingdom. Kingdom, kingdom people who are set apart. Tim Keller says that the world should equally love us and hate us. They should love us because our actions are just are, are, are loving and kind and welcoming and yet our stance on certain things that the world now calls normal is different. And so we should be confusing. And I guarantee you when the world looked at the Israelites being circumcised on the plains of Gibeah Haraloth, they would have been like, this is so weird. You guys are so strange. There's something different about you. That should also be true of the church. 
And before we can ever be ready for battle, before we can ever walk into Jericho, before we can ever claim the victory, first there must be a death to flesh. There must be a dying to self and a coming alive to him. And it can be painful and it can be confusing, but it's God's purpose for his people. Are you with me? That we would die to flesh and come alive to Christ. Number two, keep reading. So it goes on and it talks about this this moment of circumcision that happens. And then you get to verse nine. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day because Gilgal literally means to roll. So the, the lack of belief, the lack of faith that the previous generation had in not walking into that, but also the lack of obedience. Because this was a covenant that God gave them, but for 40 years, they haven't obeyed. For 40 years, they haven't circumcised the, the child, the boy on the eighth day. So for 40 years, they haven't been walking in covenant. For 40 years, they've been wandering in a wilderness but haven't walked back into the covenant that God gave them. And so this is about removing the reproach from the previous generation and establishing a new covenant with a new generation to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And we're gonna do it God's way, not our way. Because while our way might make sense in the world's eyes, God's ways is what brings about victory at Jericho, amen? And that's what... We're called to. So they says, have rolled away the reproach of Gilgal. Now, verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they're right there, circumcised. The Israelites celebrated the Passover. The second thing that we have to do as a church, one is that death of flesh and constantly coming and sitting at the cross Number two is we have to remember that God has given us the gift of salvation and so there needs to be a celebration of salvation. That we actually need to be a people of joy. That we, yeah, there's a dying to flesh, but there's great joy. There's great hope. There is a victory. We came through the waters. Do you know what the Passover was? The Passover was that celebration of the victory that God gave Israel in coming out of Egypt. And he said, take this meal to celebrate what I've done in delivering you from slavery and walking into freedom. And do you know the only way that you could take the Passover was if you were circumcised as a male? And the last time we've read about the Israelites taking the Passover was Numbers chapter 9. So it's quite reasonable to assume that they hadn't been circumcised, but also the people of Israel probably haven't celebrated Passover for the entire wilderness wandering. So they've come to the edge of the Jordan, they've heard a bad report, and then they've wandered for 40 years without covenant and without celebration. And when we stop celebrating what God has done, we forget what God has done. And we start to believe that it's got to be me and my ways and my wisdom and my strategies that is going to bring about victory. And God right here on the plains of Jericho is like, "Uh, uh, 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 uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. It's not about you. It's about me and what I will do in you if you will humble yourselves, if you will die to yourself and come alive in me. I promise you I'll do again what I did then. And in the same way I parted the Red Sea, you watch what I'm about to do. You just got a glimpse of it at the Jordan, but oh my gosh, you've got no idea what's coming. So celebrate the Passover. Friends, do we celebrate our salvation enough? 
Do we? Do we look back so that we can go forward? Like how many times in life do we forget? You meet people, like we had baptisms at Verdun last week, incredible stories of guys. One guy had a tattoo of a devil on his neck involved in bikey gangs and the Lord has radically saved him and then he stood up there and shared a testimony. Do you know what that does to the people in the church? You go like, whoa, this is good. This is exciting. We should never lose that zeal or that passion, church. Just because you've been a believer for 40 years doesn't mean you don't have a testimony. Doesn't mean you shouldn't celebrate the salvation that has come to you. Doesn't mean we shouldn't have the same fire in our gut that I had all the way back then because guess what? God brought me out of slavery into new life. The old is gone, the new has come. Do you still have the zeal that you used to have? And if not, is it because we're not celebrating that salvation? Because we're not coming to that place and going, thank you, Jesus. I was dead and now I'm alive. Amazing grace, was blind, but now I see. It's like, wah! I've been born of imperishable seed, the Bible says, that we're going to walk for eternity with Christ because of what He has done. Oh, that should get us excited and realise that no weapon formed against us will prosper. As we walk this life out, as we encounter the battles, as we encounter adversaries, as we encounter everything that culture will throw at us, we know that in Christ, in Christ alone, is victory. So we can go to Jericho, not with our strategy and not with our plans, but to go, do you know what? If the plan is just circumcision and celebration, and then he says, walk around a city for seven days, which looks stupid as well. But I believe that God can do it because he's the one who parted the waters. I'm getting excited. (laughs) And we should celebrate our salvation. And there's something, one more thing in the text, and band, you can come up because we really have to close. One more thing I I need us to see. Two more quick things. (laughs) Verse 10, on the evening of the 14th day, everyone say 14th day. They were circumcised on the 10th day. Now I have a friend who was circumcised as an adult. I'm not going to go into that. (laughs) But let me just say that it was a heck of a lot more than four days before he felt good. By day four, he was in a lot of pain. And he had a doctor, he had pain medication, and he had a bed to sleep in. These guys had Joshua, some leaders, and a flint knife. How do you reckon they're feeling by day four? The answer is not good. (laughs) They're in a lot of pain, they're in a lot of discomfort, they are not feeling well. And yet it's here on the 14th day that God says, now you celebrate. And we have a really bad habit in the church that we'll celebrate salvation when things are going well. We'll celebrate when the walls of Jericho are coming down. We'll celebrate when there's breakthrough. We'll celebrate when my prayers are being answered. But we need to be a people who learn to celebrate when we are living in pain. We need to be a people who learn to celebrate even at Gilgal. As we're lying there and there's pain in our body and it's not looking like we thought it would look when life is is broken. I'm like, this is not how I saw this going, God. And yet we still need to celebrate. 
We need to learn to be a people who give a shout of praise even in the midst of pain because it's there that we are reminded that it's not by might and not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It's there that we are reminded that greater is He who's living in me than he that is in the world. It's there that our perspective is right, that it's not I'm not the one who brings deliverance. He's the one who brings deliverance. So I will continue to praise because He parted the waters of the Red Sea so that I can have life. He's the one who dealt with my sin at the cross so that I can have life. He's the one who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me so that I can stand in His presence and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. That we would be a people who learn to praise in the midst of pain. And watch what happens when we do verse 11, the day after the Passover, the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, the unleavened bread and roasted grain, the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. What's that a picture of? Feasting, party, a change in season. 40 years of wilderness wandering, the Lord has met every need. How many of you can put your hand up and say, the Lord has met my need no matter what I've gone through? And he says, now there's a moment of abundance coming your way. It's a new season. It's a new season. You don't need that manna anymore because I'm with you. I'm still with you. I'm not going to leave you, but there's a new day coming. And the new day, you don't need the manna anymore because you're going to eat the produce of the land. You're going to step out of that season into this season and the walls of Jericho are about to come down, church. And I believe with all my heart that this is what the Lord is calling us to in this moment, in this season as a church, to humble ourselves and pray, to be fully devoted. That's that picture of circumcision is a full devotion unto the Lord. Second Chronicles 16. Oh, it's sat with me for about the last month. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, looking to show strong favour. Not just favour, strong favour to those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. How many of you want the strong favour of the Lord? Only half of us. <laughs> How many of you want the strong favour of the Lord? I sure as heck do because I'm stuffed without it. And the thing is, he's saying, yeah, yeah, I'll show, I'm actually longing and looking to give strong favour. My eyes are roaming about the earth. All I want is a people who would have death to flesh, who would hearts would be devoted, who would circumcise their own hearts and would celebrate what I have done and understand that it is all about him. And come what may in the next couple of months as all the stuff we shared at the beginning comes to pass, none of it is about us. And guess what? None of it is actually for us. It's for him. That his name, in the same way in the book of Joshua, might be glorified from generation to generation to generation. That 40 years from now, someone in Lobethal might look back and go, what's this church all about? And there'll be a story to tell because there'll be a memorial there and someone will say, let me tell you what the Lord did years ago. What is Verdun right now? Verdun is a picture where someone can say, I had the privilege of doing this just the other day. Let me tell you about a little church called Allgate Baptist 
who 50 years ago had a few people who said, let's plant a church. And then six years ago said, why don't we plant again? Each one a memorial, not to the people, not about Mark, not about me, not about all the other pastors that anyone can rattle off from years to come, years to before. It's for him. It's all about him. It's always been about him. And may it continue to be about him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.